Hi, this is John Harcher, and welcome to episode 15 of Keep On Grooving. In their first three years, Sony revamped the main Hendrix catalog and put out two box sets. They will continue over the next several years, getting out more revamped reissues, a few new albums, and the return of two old favorites exactly as they were, but polished to sound better than they ever had before. Episode 15, The Sony Era, 2013-2017 to 2013 for Hendrix releases remind me of the line I heard Billy Cox say in that really cool MTV rockumentary back in the day when he described the 1970 tour. You know, uh, people wanted to hear uh, Purple Haze and uh, Hey Joe, Foxy Lady, so we gave them that. But we also gave them some new material. Sony continued to go back and reissue some of the key releases from the MCA days. The Isle of Wight concert, Jimmy Plays Berkeley, and Live at Monterey. Jimmy Plays Berkeley actually got an expanded reissue in 2012, including some new sound and video footage, which ended up making the film about 15 minutes longer. But some other material was cut in its place. Why did they do that? I've tried doing a restored version myself, but I haven't gotten around to finishing it yet. They even did a documentary on Jimmy, Voodoo Child, where they had Bootsy Collins do a dead-on Hendrix imitation as he read from Jimmy's letters and other writings. But it was time for new material. Well, new-ish. People, Hell, and Angels. Once again, Lent comes around and the Hendrix Estate puts out another new studio album and I have to wait until Easter to listen to it. The title comes from a list Jimmy made of possible album titles for his next record. Straight Ahead for a single album, First Raises the New Rising Sun for a double, and People, Hell, and Angels for a triple. Now, oddly enough, some of the songs on this record might have been on that three-record set, but none of these recordings in particular likely would have made the cut. Again, the bulk of them are from 1969, but this time they concentrate more on the Band of Gypsies and the Woodstock Band, with Larry Lee still getting the short end of the guitar. The album starts off with a version of Earth Blues recorded the same day as the original backing track from the released version. Or should I say both released versions, the one from Rainbow Bridge and First Rays, and the one from The Purple Box. What makes this one unique is the chorus, last verse, and call and response sections are different from the other version. So much so that I tend to think of this as either Earth Blues Part 2 or Earth Blues Again. It's a little sparse because it was originally just a backing track, but I think it's actually pretty close to releasable as is. Next is Somewhere, and this is it. Jimi Hendrix's very first number one single on the Billboard charts. It's just not the Hot 100 Singles chart. The week it came out, it was the number one selling single on one of their newer charts, though, as I've mentioned several times before, I still can't figure out which one it is. Now, this is not the pre-Mitch version of the Crash Landing version. This is the very first demo featuring Jimmy, Buddy Miles on drums, and Steven Stills on bass. But they didn't just leave it there. They decided to take the vocals and bridge guitar from that other version and fly them over to this one, creating another Frankenstein version. However, this may have to become the default version since it's a number one single. 
Here my train to come and follow. Is it, what, again? After decades with no studio version, we're practically swimming in them now. This one is a Band of Gypsies version done in May 1969, and it is smoking. The tone Jimmy has on the solo here is absolutely amazing. So imagine my disappointment to hear a cut right after the solo is done to the end of the song. It turns out they never ended up doing a full version of the song, so they spliced the ending of a previous take onto this track. The take was so impressive, Alan Douglas contemplated putting this on blues by taking the front part of this version and tacking on the ending from one the experience did a month before, which we'll eventually hear. I heard it, and he made the right choice leaving it off. You can't mix Buddy and Mitch in the same song. Doesn't go together. Bleeding Heart is next, and as I just said, what, again? This is from the same session as Hear My Train of Common, and it's a really slowed down version of the song. Interesting experiment. I like the other versions better, but some people like this a lot more than I do. From the same session that gave us Georgia Blues from the Martin Scorsese Blues album, we get this Lonnie Youngblood original, Let Me Move You. He had some good chemistry with his old Squires bandmate. You know, I wish they could have done more together. We really do need a proper Jimmy and Lonnie collection instead of the multitude of ripoffs that are out there. The version of Isabella here is from the Woodstock band, complete with Larry Lee's guitar's counterpoint. This one is more like the version at the festival compared to the one on the Purple Box, which sounds closer to the later Band of Gypsies version. From the same session as Isabella comes Easy Blues. This is an extended version of the song from Nine to the Universe. I say extended because it's not the full 10-minute version. Larry's three-minute solo is left on the cutting room floor. And it's a very tasteful and nice-sounding solo. It really should be in there. There's no reason to cut it out. Give the guy a break. Next up, oh boy, I am dreading this one. Crash Landing. Now, I love what Eddie Kramer has done over the years, getting the most out of this music. If they would put out a video of Eddie at the mixing board talking about every song for three to five minutes, I'd watch the whole thing and you could not get me away from the TV. So I have to ask, what in heaven's name were they thinking with this one? I was hoping for a nice, clean version of the track used for the 1975 album. There are two versions out there in the bootleg world, one with one vocal track and one with two. I would have taken either one. Probably the one with one track would have been better. Instead, we get an alternate take from those sessions and vocals from another take, Frankenstein on, only they're, they're totally out of sync. They start and end on odd beats, lyrics, or dropping because they don't fit. It's, it's just a mess. This song is the single worst mistake of the experienced Hendrix era. I would like to request if another box set is in the offing, Please put the original track on it. <sighs> Inside Out follows. The evolution of Easy Rider goes through this track from the Electric Ladyland sessions right around the time of South Saturn Delta. This is based on the riff that became the bridge section. Noel wasn't there for this one, so Jimmy overdubbed the bass. Hey Gypsy Boy is next. Unlike Crash Landing, this is the original untouched version of the song from Midnight Lightning, out of tune guitar and all. I have a version with a different intro on it, so I wonder which one is actually correct. Now this one's an oddity. Jimmy's old friends, Arthur and Albert Allen, or 
as they were later known to Harqua and Tunde Ra Alim, also known as the Ghetto Fighters, were working on their album in 1970 when they brought a track called Mojo Man to him in August to do some overdubs at Electric Lady. And there it sat for 43 years. It had actually been teased earlier for inclusion on the Power Soul tribute album from 2004. I'll talk about this one and the one from 1993 called Stone Free at some point, but it wasn't included. It was supposed to show up somewhere else along the way as well, but it was finally released here. The album ends with Villanova Junction Blues. Pre-Woodstock, this is from the Hear My Train of Common Bleeding Heart session from May 1969. It's under two minutes, but it's the closest thing to a proper studio version there is. The others are more like free-flowing jams. I could even see this being used as a closing track to the next album. So what essential pieces of the Jimmy puzzle were added from this album? It's tough. There's a lot of good stuff on here, but because of the Frankensteining and the editing, I don't think there's a definitive, you know, this one. It should have been Crash Landing, but not this one. I love this version of Earth Blues as an alternate. Somewhere is a number one single, but spliced together like this, it gets a caveat. Here My Train of Common is amazing, but incomplete. Villanova Junction is good, but really short. So if you ask me, nothing definitive. It would have been hard to top the number four chart debut of Valleys of Neptune, but People in Hell and Angels did just that, debuting at number two and becoming Jimmy's highest charting album right behind Electric Ladyland. As for somewhere debuting at number one on the sales chart, there may be an explanation. Sony released the single in both vinyl and CD versions, but they put a different B-side on each. The CD single had Foxy Lady from the first Band of Gypsies set on January 1st, the same one that was on Band of Gypsies 2. This time, they mixed it from the multi-track, so it sounds a whole lot better than it did than the one from the video. The vinyl B-side is Power of Soul, this time taken from a mix Jimmy did in early February 1970 after finishing a few overdubs. This is the very first time a complete studio version of the song was released. It has a unique intro that Jimmy specifically worked on at this session, but leaves off the first, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a mistake on the Southside and Delta version, but apparently not. He wanted it to sound like that. Just sounds wrong to me. But Unfortunately, like the Purple Haze B-side of Johnny B. Good, it remains a vinyl exclusive to this day. I know vinyl has made a major resurgence over the years, but in a digital age, I don't get this. There's a lot of people who agree with Neil Young that vinyl is better and don't do digital, so you've got those people. But there can't be that many diehards like me who's going to buy a record even though they don't have a great record player anymore. Speaking of vinyl, Sony also made Jimmy a prominent feature of their Record Store Day releases. 2013 was a relatively important one for those who were interested in the mono side of the experience. They released the original version of their very first single, Hey Joe and Stone Free. It was common overseas, but in the U.S., it was the first time this single had appeared. Reprise had originally paired Hey Joe with 51st Anniversary the first time around. But Sony wasn't done with Jimmy for 2013. In November, they pulled a twofer. On audio, they released Miami Pop Festival, recorded in May 1968 at the aforementioned festival. It was supposed to run for two days, but the second day was rained out. Imagine that, rain in Florida. The experience had done their performances on Saturday, so Jimmy had time to lay back and dream on a rainy day and came up with Rainy Day Dream Away. The set list is basically the same as would normally show up in 1969 shows, 
just without Voodoo Child, which had just been recorded. They also included a couple songs from the early show that day, you know, those hard-to-find rarities, Fire and Foxy Lady. That same week, PBS's American Masters series debuted a documentary called Hear My Train A-Comin', which was also released into stores a little later. It included newly discovered or recovered footage of Jimmy at Miami Pop Festival and included more footage from the New York Pop Festival in July 1970. Two songs were included in a film called The Day the Music Died, Foxy Lady and the Star Spangled Banner. The DVD slash Blu-ray included several more songs, but not Red House, which seemed to be a lot of people's favorite from the show. It's a little strange to have another life-spanning documentary so soon after the one in 2010, but if the material dictates a new release, so be it. 2014 went by without any new Hendrix material hitting the stores, but there were some Hendrix reissues, and they were some very welcome ones. Sony Experienced Hendrix decided to re-release both Cry of Love and Rainbow Bridge, as they were from 1971, back at a wide release. They had legendary record engineer Bernie Grunman just remastered the original tapes, and they sounded beautiful. Cry of Love had been reissued twice by Reprise, but this was the very first time Rainbow Bridge had ever been released in the United States in digital form, and it contained a little surprise. Roomful of Mirrors on all previous releases had run around 3 minutes and 20 seconds, including the original Rainbow Bridge and the one on Essentials. The one on this release runs 3 minutes and 35 seconds with additional echoing and reverb drums at the end of the song. It adds to its psychedelic nature and solidifies my thought that the song really deserved to be on this album rather than Cry of Love as originally intended. These releases also solidified in my mind the idea of releasing the original War Heroes as it was, though all the tracks are available scattered around. Just give the tapes to Bernie, maybe throw in 51st anniversary as a bonus, and in the words of Tomator, Get her done. I'm going to jump over one release here since it works better with the 2017 album, which we'll deal with next. The cleanup of Jimmy's back catalog continued in 2015 with the release in late August of the full show from the Atlanta Pop Festival. It was put back in the proper order. Fire, Loverman, and Spanish Castle Magic start to set off, followed by the debut of Red House. Roomful of Mirrors and Hear My Train of Coming were put back in their correct order, followed by the debut of Message of Love. Along the Watchtower was next, and for the first time, we get to hear the complete song. The soundboard tape needed replacing, so that's why it faded in previously. However, the film portion did have the opening captured, so they spliced it together from there, and we get the whole song. Freedom, Foxy Lady, Purple Haze with the Star Spangled Man at False Start, Hey Joe with the flamenco-type opening, and the oddly placed in the set Voodoo Child followed. Then, like at Woodstock, Atlanta had its own final sequence. This time, Stone Free led into the Star Spangled Banner, which is followed by Straight Ahead, more like the song that would show up on Cry of Love than the one from Berkeley just barely a month earlier. Then, like the last time this set was released, the way out of tune Hey Baby is thankfully left off. For some reason, Experience Hendrix has taken to attaching another name to their live sets instead of just Jimi Hendrix Live At. Isle of White became Blue Wild Angel, and Live at Monterey became American Landing, at least on film. Now for Atlanta, somebody must have gotten their wires crossed. The audio release is called Freedom Atlanta Pop Festival. The video version is called Jimi Hendrix Electric Church. 
I wish they'd save that title for a collection of the TTG sessions or even something that has the LA 1969 concert included since he tells the audience before that show starts to think they're a church. It follows the pattern set by the Isle of Wight, Woodstock, and Monterey films. The concert footage is mostly presented in order and is preceded by some introduction material about the festival and how it affected people in the area, you know, that kind of thing. So for those playing along at home, we have two whole concerts re-released from stages, most of San Diego, we're just missing Hey Joe from the CD, and of course, Foxy Lady's never been released, and still need five songs from the Stockholm broadcast from 1967. In 2016, Sony and Experience Hendrix continued their series of Record Store Day releases with a nice surprise. They put out the U.S. version of Smash Hits with a couple of revisions. First off, it was mastered by Bernie Grunman, and like the Cry of Love and Rainbow Bridge reissues he did, the sound was praised as the best it'd been in years. The other major thing about it was the cover. The band did a whole photo shoot to try to come up with a cover for the U.S. album, They did one set with Jimmy in biker gear, one photo of which was used as a cover for South Saturn Delta. The other was a Western theme shoot with Jimmy, Mitch, and Noel dressed up like cowboys, horses, and all. A bunch of these photos were used for the back cover, as well as a poster included inside. The reissue uses a new photo for the cover. It's so good, it makes me want to own a copy, even though, as I always say, I don't have a record player at the moment. If you see someone posting on a message board online with this cover as their avatar, it just might be me. Towards the end of that year, Experience Hendrick released something that a lot of fans have been asking for, a complete set of one of the band of Gypsy shows. Thanks to the video, we gotten close with the first set on January 1st, but even with the audio for Burning Desire included on Live at the Fillmore East, it was still missing half of Earth Blues. It would have been easy to just release the full audio of that set, though it might have been a little redundant and open up the can of worms that would be addressed a few years later. Will a full version of the January 1st shows conflict in any way with the Band of Gypsies album? Instead, they decided to release the first set from December 31st under the title Machine Gun, the Fillmore East First Show. Originally, there were too many technical issues for Jimmy and Eddie to use several songs from this show on the original album, but I guess thanks to modern technology, those bugs were able to be worked out. This set must have been truly shocking in one sense for the audience seeing it that night. Not a single song performed in the first set had been released on album in any form. There's not one song from the Experiences 3, or 4 if you count Smash Hits, albums, If someone had been at Woodstock that Monday morning and heard Jimmy's entire set there, they'd recognize just three of the 11 songs performed on the 31st. The set started out with the debut of Power of Soul. It almost seems like a statement for the set of concerts and for his own work going forward. Like, that was all good back there, but we're going to try some new things now. The song originally had microphone issues, but we get all the lyrics here. The newly shortened Loverman follows, which also originally had the same mic issues. Things must have gotten all fixed since the next song is Hear My Train of Coming, the one Jimmy and Eddie prepared for possible use on the album and ended up on Band of Gypsies 2. A relatively compact version of Changes was debuted next. Guess Buddy didn't get warmed up just yet. Possibly the only time during the run that the newly shortened Isabella was performed was followed by the debut of the full-length version of Machine Gun. 
The two were performed together on the Dick Cavett show a few months earlier, but Machine Gun was just a little snippet tagged on to the end. This was among its shortest performances ever, less than 10 minutes. Next, Buddy got to sing again as the band did their cover of Stop. I wonder if this was done as a tribute to songwriter Jerry Ragaboy, since they'd done some recording at his studio, The Hit Factory. Easy Rider made its long-awaited debut next, followed by a slow version of Bleeding Heart. The set ended with two more debuts, Earth Blues and Burning Desire. All in all, it was a very solid set. Jimmy may have thought the band wasn't quite ready for a big debut, but it stands up very well next to the sets from the next night. Supposedly, he wanted to keep a lot of the songs he was still working on so he could debut them on the studio album instead of Band of Gypsies. That's why things like Isabella, Easy Rider, and Earth Blues were never really considered. As I mentioned earlier, if he'd known he wouldn't ever get down a good studio version of Burning Desire, would he have released one of the two full-length versions from the concerts, either this one or the one from the next night? The album was also released on SACD at the same time, and many audiophiles praised its overall sound. Curtis Knight and the Squires, the PPX Sessions. Now, since we just got done with the Band of Gypsies, I think it's time to go into a bit on the Curtis Knight era. I will do a whole episode on this later, but for now, let's do a little Reader's Digest version on it since a few albums of this material came out in this era. The short version is Jimmy was trying hard to get signed and do some recording in the 1965-66 time frame. So he'd go ahead and sign this contract and sign that one, and usually they wouldn't amount to much. But once Chaz Chandler got involved, that was almost the first thing he asked about. And he went around finding every contract Jimmy mentioned and bought them out. But like that leaf that got stuck on Achilles' heel or the mistletoe that killed Baldur the Brave, they missed one. In 1965, Jimmy hooked up with Curtis Knight and the Squires, who were signed to Ed Chalpin's PPX Records. So they did some recording in the studio and even made that live album in Hackensack. Then after Jimmy hits the big time in mid-1967, for reasons lost in the mists of time, he goes into the studio again with Curtis and brings his new toy, the Wawa pedal. Maybe Jimmy thought if he helped them out, Ed would be okay with the other contract. They do more recording, and on one of the tapes, Jimmy, Curtis, and Ed are discussing the fact that they can't use Jimmy's name on this stuff if it ever comes out. Ed says, sure, and six months later in December, Get That Feeling by Curtis Knight and Jimi Hendrix hits the shelves. The album wasn't exactly full of information. The cover was a picture of Jimmy at Monterey, and obviously not a single song was actually from there. The release of this album in December confused the daylights out of U.S. record buyers in January when Axis Boulder's Love hit the stands. Two Hendrix albums on at the same time? Axis sold less than Are You Experienced, and people point to the Get That Feeling factor as part of the reason. By the time Flashing came out a few months later, some changes took place. The album was credited as Jimi Hendrix Plays, Curtis Knight Sings, letting it be a bit more honest in depicting the contents. Otherwise, it was more of the same 1965 tracks mixed with the 1967 ones and a few of somewhat spurious origin. Like, is that really Jimmy? Even though Ed Chalpin and Capitol got their album in 1970, these tapes were recycled over and over and over again, sometimes combined with the Lonnie Youngblood material to make dozens, 
possibly hundreds of bargain basement quality albums for the cheapy bins. So we jump ahead to 2013, and finally the Hendrix estate was able to work out a deal to get their hands on all the Curtis Knight material. 88 tracks, I think it breaks down to 33 in the studio, 55 live, or maybe it's a little closer than that. Some fans were looking forward to something resembling a comprehensive presentation of the tracks. And of course, that's not what we got. In March 2015, notice the March trend. Thank you, Lent. Sony put out a one-disc collection called You Can't Use My Name, based on that little snippet from the recording session where Jimmy tells Ed, you can't use my name on this. You have to give it to them using the best piece of evidence against Jimmy as the centerpiece of the album, but facts is facts. Nine of the 14 tracks were included on either Get That Feeling or Flashing, yet notice neither of the title tracks from those albums make the cut here. Two additional songs were B-sides, Two more were from the other tapes. One was completely new, plus that little bit of the studio chatter. It's hard to do a decent rundown since we only have 13 of the 30-plus studio tracks presented here. Are all the rest of them not authentic? Well, no, that's not the case. Hard to believe they'd be able to have control over them if Jimmy wasn't on them at all. It would have been better to have all the tracks done at once since you can't really go to the well too many times with this material. It's interesting for fans, but there's a limit for them too. Go through, here are the singles, here are some of the other tracks, here are the originals for this and that before they were chopped up, you know, something like that. The set as it is leaves you wanting, but not necessarily wanting more. Two years later, in March 2017, see, March never changes. They released the Hackensack Live album. Boy, no matter, no matter how many times I talk about it, it still stuns me. You ever think you'd hear those two words together? Anyway, there were actually two nights recorded, December 26, 1965, and a show a month later that included Lonnie Youngblood in the band, and they changed their name at that point to the Love Lights. Or were they the Love Lights who then changed their name to the Squires? I don't know. Another one of these confusing things. Again, these aren't all the live recordings they did, but it may be all from this venue. And to show the level of quality they thought these were, it was released on Dagger Records. The quality is low, but honestly, I wouldn't mind another set since there's more material to choose from, likely from other venues according to Keys DeLang's book, Plug Your Ears, and the band is pretty good. But there was one big drawback. 2017 was the 50th anniversary of Are You Experienced, Acts of Boulder's Love, and the Monterey Pop Festival. And the best experience Hendrix could come up with is... This? Next time, 2018, give us another new album and the 50th anniversary of Jimmy's masterpiece, Electric Ladyland. But would it be treated like one? That's next time I Keep On Grooving. You've heard me mention my buddy David and Little Rock a few times. For you metalheads back in the 90s, you may remember Video Zoo. He was behind that, as well as the Slow Southern Steel documentary that was out a few years back. It was his birthday this past week, so a happy 51st anniversary to him. Please remember to hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. I'm John Archer. Thanks for listening. Thank you.